What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the MMA Fresh Take Podcast. This is your host, Mario Zapata. We're actually here in a week in which we don't have any UFC notable fights coming up this weekend. So we're actually just going to talk about some of the things that have been in the news this past week, some of the uh, big headlines that we found out, and some fights that are in the making. And uh, we'll just talk a little bit about the news that has been out there. Um, We don't have another fight until April 7th as far as the UFC goes. UFC 223 223 Ferguson versus Norman So until then, we get a nice little break. We get to watch some really good promos that have been set out with Habib Time and Rose Namajunas playing uh, the piano, of course, and the highlights and the promos going on with those fights. So that's actually been pretty nice. I would say I, I do like the break. I do enjoy it. I enjoy it for one reason, because you get to enjoy and really reminisce about what just happened in the in the previous fight card. It gives a little bit more time to set, shed some light on that and give attention to the actual results of the fight cards that maybe they'll, that, that'll hold a little bit of weight going forward. On the other hand, you really get to get real excited about the next upcoming card. So I do like that we do have a lot of MMA events, but I enjoy this type of t- break that we have into action as well. I do wish that they would lessen the cards by about 10 cards per year. I think that that would be uh, a fine alternative to what we're doing right now where we have you know, at times, six straight weeks where we have cards, and um, the cards can be a little bit devalued in that sense, as well as when you have a break like this, you end up getting more stacked cards, and it's no no, um, surprise that UFC 223 happens to be one of those really stacked cards. They don't have to worry about a UFC on Fox the week before, and then another UFC Fight Night card two weeks before. So it really allows you to really stack that card up with prospects, uh, past, past, uh, fighters that have proven themselves that maybe are looking for their way back, and then, you know, the elite of the elite right now. So, With that being said, let's actually get into some of the news that has been in the headlines this week. The first one being Stephen Thompson versus Darren Till being worked out for UFC Liverpool. It looks like currently that is the fight that they are looking for. According to MMA Fighting Ariel Ariel Hawani, that bout between the undefeated welterweight and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is in the works for the UFC Liverpool main event. May 27th. So this has been a fight in which Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's uh, father has continuously said that they're not taking that fight against Darren Till. And I would say this, this is just a real interesting story. One in which we really, a lot of the media and the fans really said, okay, it's, it's real obvious that the Thompson camp isn't interested in this fight. At this point, Let's go ahead and go with a Gunnar Nelson. Let's go with a, a Leon Edwards, you know, someone of that level. And uh, let's just make this a showcase fight in UFC Liverpool. The same type of way that they structured an event around Conor McGregor with him in Ireland. He was going to fight a guy in Cole Miller and some guys. And uh, and then he ended up fighting Diego Brandao. Neither of those guys were really considered to be in title contention at that point in time in the division. But that wasn't really the point of that fight card. The point of that fight card was to bring an electric energy 
uh, unlike any that has been felt in a in a market like that in quite some time. That's the same type of atmosphere they're going to go here for here in Liverpool, and they're really going to want to showcase, you know, on TV how big of a star this guy is in his hometown, and that that you should really be paying attention to a guy like this, even though it's a fight night main event. They're going to hope that it translates into him winning and then, you know, being able to produce some pay strong pay-per-view numbers in the future in which he would be either the co-main or probably the main event. So I think that that's really the whole point of this card. It's really to get a lot of traction behind Darren Till, of course, a lot of momentum behind Darren Till for sure. And with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, I just wonder if that's the right fight to make. I don't believe that it is. The reason being is, is because there's a f couple of qualities that are very common with these uh, MMA superstars these days. They have to have a unique personality to themselves, right? Ronda Rousey had a special personality to herself. She wasn't the same type of talker that Connor was. Connor has a special personality to himself. There's many others that have come after him that have tried to portray a personality such like his, but it hasn't come through as being um being their own and being real. Uh it has come off as being fake, so it hasn't worked for those type of guys like a Ben Rothwell, some of these other guys that try to speak and it just isn't working out. You have to be yourself. Well, Darren Till has that type of vibe to him. He doesn't for he doesn't seem like a guy that's pretending to be like someone he's not. He doesn't seem like a guy who's trying to be the next Conor McGregor. He seems like a guy who's trying to be Darren Till. He seems like a guy who's trying to do the same thing for his Liverpool scene as Conor was trying to do for Ireland, but it feels very unique in his own way, right? The other thing that you need is exciting fights, and the third thing that you need is for these guys to win. So we got the first part covered. He's extremely intriguing. He's entertaining on the mic and in his interviews. So there's nothing, not an issue there. The the second and the third parts are where I see there being a potential issue with this particular fight. You're wanting to showcase Darren Till's best talents, and one of the ways that you do that is in is by matching him up with another guy who's going to be willing to stand and trade with him. But what you don't want to do is give him a high-level guy like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, a guy who's very methodical methodical in his game plans, who's um, very patient as well. It's very difficult to figure out, even for other experienced strikers. I think that this could provide for a real boring fight at, in, in this main event. A lot of people are going to say, well, you know, Darren Till's uh, a beast, he's, he's the next big thing, but it wasn't so long ago that we thought that Stephen Wonderboy Thompson was that same person, and he's only lost and drawed to uh, to um, Tyrone Woodley, you know, in his UFC run since his, la since his loss to Matt Brown. He's been very effective against almost everybody else, including the middleweight champion Robert Whitaker, in which he finished, I believe, and forced to go up into the middleweight ranks to find a career resurgence, which he did. But this is just a tough, tough matchup for just about anyone. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is extremely experienced in this in the striking game had an undefeated record over 40 50 fights in his kickboxing record i do believe and he's no slouch when it comes to striking in my opinion he's going to be a much better ver 
a much better striker than Darren Till, the question that you have to ask is, is Darren Till going to be aggressive enough? and, and Or is he going to be smart enough, actually, to be able to get around some of the weaknesses of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson? You have to wonder, on the feet, what are those weaknesses? You saw a little bit in the Thompson versus Woodley fights that he almost had to be too patient with a guy like Woodley because Woodley was so powerful. And you could say, well, Darren Till has a lot of power too. That's true, but if you go back and look at Darren Till's record, he doesn't have the type of power that um, Tyrone Woodley has. I mean, he does have, he does have, let's see, 10 KO, TKO victories. But before his KO, TKO of Donald Cerrone, he took um, his previous three three uh, opponents to a decision and one which was a draw. So this isn't a guy that's just been rolling heads off lately before he fought a guy in Donald Cerrone. So with that being said, you have to wonder how tentative Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's going to be against a guy like Darren Till, who is a lot more aggressive than Tyrone Woodley and kind of plays into Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's uh, game plan. So with that being said, I think that this is a difficult fight to make entertaining for Darren Till. And second off, I think this is this is going to be a difficult fight for him to win. I do believe that Darren Till has a lot of, uh, does have a really high ceiling. I do believe he's got a ton of talent. But I just question the fact that this may be a little bit too much too early. You could have said the same about the Donald Cerrone fight. But again, Donald Cerrone has always been a little bit undersized at the welterweight uh, division. And he's the type of fighter that when you bring it to him, he kind of takes a step back and can start off slowly. And you can actually fulfill your opportunities by being aggressive. Against a guy like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, it's a totally different game if you're looking to be aggressive and you're not going to be able to knock him out with one-punch knockout power. This could be a real, real dangerous fight for Darren Till. So I don't particularly like the matchup as of just yet. I think this is a great opportunity for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson to steal uh, a lot of momentum away from Darren Till. But I will say this, on the upside, Darren Till gets past Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. You can almost just ride him into that next title shot. Whoever the champion is at that point, he will have proven that he is absolutely of the elite of the division with a win over a guy like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And you will have major, major momentum and a major star in your hands. Um, but in a lot of cases, you have to weigh the upside versus the downside. I do believe there's a little bit too much downside. I think you go with a Leon Edwards, a uh, you know someone of that realm of Gunnar Nelson. Fights where he could potentially lose. Fights where you know it's not as big a superstar, but he's got a much better chance at winning those fights, in my belief as well. And you don't give him such a tricky test in the guy like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Guys like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Damian Maya, they are super, super tricky because their one skill is so much better than everyone else's that you really have to be very careful in how you go about uh, preparing your game plan. Alright, next thing on the list to talk about is actually Colby Covington versus Rafael Dos Andros actually being discussed. It looks like it is set uh, for an interim title fight at UFC 224. It's for the interim welterweight championship. And uh, this is very interesting. Let's just get into the 
interim part of this discussion first. I, I think that this is a little crazy. I believe that that Woodley will be out for close to a year by the time that he's willing and able to come back. I don't feel that that's particularly way too long. I think that they need to just relax a little bit, but Tyron Woodley hasn't made a lot of friends at the UFC, especially with Dana White, unfortunately, so I think that that's hurting his case when it comes to a decision like this. I did hear that it may have provided some incentive for these two fighters to go ahead and actually accept this matchup. If that's the case, the UFC is definitely starting to lose leverage on some of these guys, Um, but I, I think that the the interim title uh, fight being made here is a little bit, um, if it does get confirmed, is a little bit disappointing. I mean, I would like to see the interim uh, championship belt really actually put into place if a guy is, if it's truly concerning how long this guy is going to return for, such as Conor McGregor, you know, going to fight Floyd Mayweather in boxing. So they decide, okay, we truly don't know when this guy's going to come back. So let's go ahead and make this interim title fight in the meantime, because it could be six months, but it could also be two years. And in case where Dominic Cruz is out with multiple ACL injuries, you know, once you're out for longer than a year and you still don't have any news or hope of being back in the fold, um, you know, within the next few months, I think that's when you can start looking at interim titles. But from everything that Tyron Woodley has said, it seems, it appears that he is is looking to get back within that one-year time frame, not get back in just having a match set, but actually having fought, you know, within that year. So, when considering that, I don't think that they should be making this for a belt. But that's just something that we're going to have to look um, look past when it comes to this fight. I'm just happy that these two guys are fighting. I'm happy that Darren Till is coming back into the fold. That Rafael Dos Anjos, who I believe is the number one contender in the welterweight division. And a guy like Colby Covington, who hasn't fought in a very long time, coming off his win over Damian Maya. Another top-tier welterweight is getting back into action. So let's focus on the matchup and what this means and uh, what we think about this fight. So I actually love this fight being put together. I'm going to look at the title and kind of just ignore it a little bit and view it more as uh, a contract to fight the to fight Tyrone Woodley for the champ for the undisputed championship next, which is essentially what they're using this interim title for. Um, so I do like that fact. I do like that you get the opportunity to see these two guys going into it, knowing as long as they come out fairly healthy, as long as Tyrone Woodley doesn't have a setback within his shoulder surgery that he had, that this should be, this will be your next contender, and they will be fighting next for the title. So I think that that's a really, really good idea. Also, <clears throat> in the sense that it's actually in Brazil, I love, love, love that. I think that Rafael dos Santos has an opportunity to come out looking like a real star if he should win. They will go crazy, absolutely crazy in Brazil with the type of comments that have been made against the Brazilians coming from Colby Covington with the fact that Covington has been very, very hard-edged against the Brazilians and has really made enemies with guys like Fabricio Verdum and others who like or represent the country of Brazil, even going at Darren Till, who lived in Brazil for 
for some time and actually speech speaks Portuguese. A lot of Brazilians actually wanted their until to fight Colby Covington and shut him up. Well, now you actually get, you know, a hometown, a home country guy in Rafael dos Anjos who is more than able and capable of per, of uh, performing with dominance in this type of fight. Um, he could come out looking really, really hot as well as Colby. On the other hand, I'm not a, a, a fan of Colby Covington. Um, I, I really don't like him, but I try not to pay too much attention to him in terms of his social media. I mean, he's just looking for the attention. Y'all, if you don't like Colby Covington and you're talking about him, if you don't like Colby Covington and you're just ranting about him and you're saying, oh, I want him to fight Dos Anjos or Stephen Wonderboy Thompson or Darren Till so he can get, you know, his ass whooped. That's exactly what he wants. I mean, he's playing it perfectly. I don't agree with the ways that he's playing it, but he's getting a lot of momentum without a really fan-friendly fighting style, and he doesn't have the longest resume, and he's this close to a title shot with Tyron Woodley just because of his mouth. So if he wins in Brazil, you can only imagine what he's going to say post-fight. He's going to cause a lot of controversy, and he will have a lot of momentum behind himself as well. And he will have a ton of fans riled up, a ton of fans looking forward to him getting knocked out by Tyron Woodley. That's what a lot of these people will be saying. So... I think it's a perfect scenario for both of them. I do fear a little bit for Colby Covington. What type of security is he going to have going into, uh, you know, Brazil and then walking out? And then should he win walking back and leaving the country? I mean, (laughs) it's going to be a little bit of a scene. I do wonder what type of security measures they're going to have to take just to protect this guy in Brazil. But I think it's a great fight to put together. And, you know, Without all, Even without all the drama, I think it's an excellent matchup. Just with my initial thoughts, I do believe it's a perfect, it's a good opportunity for Rafael Dos Anjos to win this fight. I believe he's got fantastic wrestling, grappling, jiu-jitsu, along with some really good high-level striking, much better than Colby Covington's, especially if Colby was getting tagged up by Damian Maya a little bit. Much more power uh, than a Damian Maya, so that could be a real issue. And his cardio is... Um, He's got excellent, excellent cardio. We learned that from the Robbie Lawler fight and, of course, like the Anthony Pettis fights as well. He's just got to keep his head in the game. He doesn't really have to contend with those nasty weight cuts anymore. He's looked like he can really um, deal with other people's size in that division. He doesn't look like his strength has uh, translated in a negative fashion in that sense. So that's also a good sign for Dos Anjos. Uh, for Co- Covington, though, he's got to bank on the fact that he can take down Dos Anjos in similar fashion uh, uh, as uh, Habib Nurmagomedov did. So he's got to be confident that he's got that type of grappling and that type of uh, ability to dominate a guy like Dos Anjos. But early on, I think that this is a favorable matchup for Dos Anjos. For Covington, though, if he does win, this is gonna, it, it will drive so many fans crazy, especially considering what type of comments he may make after the fight. As as far as the fight being added to UFC 224, once if it does become official, this become makes it a really nice fight card, especially a pay-per-view portion of it. It would be Amanda Nunes versus Raquel Pennington in the main event for the Women's Bantamweight Championship. You have the interim title belt at 170 being contested between Rafael Dos Anjos and um, 
Colby Covington, Vitor Belfort versus Lyoto Machida is a good fanfare fight, especially in Brazil. And I think for us back here in the U.S., those two guys have been big enough superstars. And we don't feel like one of them is just being served to the youth. So we kind of like the matchup a little bit better in that sense. So you've got three really good fights right there. And then Ronaldo Jacare Souza versus Kelvin Gaslam as well. As well as some other car- fights on the card. Mackenzie Dern versus Amanda Cooper, John Lineker versus Brian Kelleher. So there's some really good fights on this card. Uh, it's shaping up to be a nice one. As long as as long as long this fight does get confirmed as being official for UFC 224 and Dos Andros and Covington, and as long as there's no injuries or health issues or visa issues or anything like that. So uh, good call here by the UFC to make this fight, at least to deter- determine who's going to be fighting Tyron Woodley next. Next thing to talk about is going to be Dana White saying that Demetrius Johnson versus TJ Dillashaw isn't happening, stating that Demetrius basically is still injured for the time being. You have to wonder a little bit if uh, this is a little bit of punishment for TJ Dillashaw not having accepted that fight on short notice against Cody Garbrandt. Um, This is a fight I really wanted to see. I, I did think that this was a perfect opportunity. Some people have issues with the fact that if Dillashaw wins the 125-pound championship, will he defend both? Will he defend both um, championships? Yes, no. Um, Will that start to create a logjam at 135? Um, Things of that nature. If Dillashaw gets hurt and loses, then does that create a logjam at 135? No one really cared about the 125-pound division because... The 125-pound division doesn't really have a new up-and-coming contender at this point, but it was all about the 135-pound division. But the way I saw it is that Dominic Cruz was once again hurt. He's going to have to win another fight in order to get that title shot anyways. Jimmy Rivera doesn't have that marquee win as of just yet. Needs to get it. He's scheduled to fight Marlon Moraes, I believe, or that's at least in consideration for the time. And then, on the other hand, Cody Garbrandt, a lot of people want to watch him get the next title shot right away, but he got you know, defeated soundly, and TJ Dillashaw is not interested in giving an immediate rematch when he felt that he won a fight against Dominic Cruz and then had to wait two years in order to get his next title shot. He's, so he was wrong in that nat- in that sense as well, he felt like. Um, so I just thought that it was a perfect opportunity for Cody Garbrandt to get a fight in. You know, you do the Jimmy Rivera versus Marlon Moraes, you do a Dominic Cruz fight, and you kind of let it play out for just a little bit. Meanwhile, TJ and DJ make the super fight happen. It's a fight that would be really meaningful to DJ, to Demetrius Johnson's career. But it almost sounds like to me that they're just not willing to pay Demetrius Johnson. They're not confident that this fight would produce the type of numbers that that they would need to feel comfortable paying Demetrius Johnson the type of money he wants to get paid. If that's the case, unfortunately, it looks like this fight's not going to happen and we'll have to wait for it. And truly, this may never come to fruition, which is disappointing because I think that this is a perfect scenario in which the fighters have agreed to what weight that they would fight at. Um, They don't mind anything like that. Um, But it just feels like Dana could be a little bit mad at TJ, but on the other sense, is maybe just having a tough pill, is having a tough time swallowing the pill in pain, uh, 
Demetrius Johnson what he thinks he's really worth for a super fight like that. And since Demetrius is out, would prefer that TJ just go back to Cody Garbrandt fight or something else in the meantime. Next thing to talk about is Frankie Edgar versus Cub Swanson 2 in the works for UFC Atlantic City. So this is the same card in which uh, Kevin Lee is going to be facing Edson Barboza. You got Aljermaine Al Sterling versus Brett John. So this is going to be the co-main event it looks like. Since this came out, there was a uh, fight poster that was released by the UFC, so it appears to be official, already set in stone. What do I think about the matchup? I think that um, I'm okay with it. I mean, I really don't have any issues with it. Maybe the timing more than anything, Frankie just got pretty brutally knocked out by Frank, uh, Brian Ortega. So with that being a concern, I don't know. I always think when you get brutally knocked out like that, you should be out at least six months minimum. And, you know, four or five of those months, you really should actually just be, you know, kind of just relaxing. You shouldn't even be sparring for any of those months. You should be, if you want to stay in shape, you want to do drills and things of that nature, go go ahead. That's fine. I'm not a doctor, though, so I, I really wouldn't know. But I just seen time after time when guys come back super quickly from actually being hurt really bad in their previous fights or actually being knocked out, it a lot of times will hinder their ability to take some punishment in their next fight. And this is coming up pretty soon. This is going to be April 21st. He was knocked out March 3rd. So when you look at it, that's what, like six, seven, eight weeks between fights. It's not a whole lot of time. I think you really have to take some time in recovering. This is a guy in Cub Swanson who has very good power in his hands, accurate punching, accurate strikes. So if they do keep it standing, it could be a real issue for Frankie Edgar. Although, on the other hand, you could say that Frankie uh, just dominated Cub Swanson the first time with his grappling. He's going to be able to do the same thing, not even take a whole lot of punishment. In that sense, it's a really smart idea. He'll get a good paycheck, and he'll be right back in the mix to, for that featherweight title shot. So you could argue that. Um, but if it were me, I would prefer that Frankie wait a little bit longer. Um, otherwise, I do like the matchup. I, I view this as being a little bit of a dangerous fight for Cub. But as I just talked about, maybe with the fact that Frankie was just knocked out, he feels that it's only going to take a couple shots to knock Frankie Edgar out. And he feels like he can do that before having been taken to the ground. Um, but this is this in, in the long run I believe will be beneficial to Frankie. I do believe that he gets a victory here. I think it'll be in similar fashion as to the first fight because I don't believe that Cub Swanson is as big as some of these other guys like Max Holloway, Brian Ortega. It makes it a lot more advantageous for Frankie to be able to get this fight to the ground and he doesn't really have to worry about Cub Swanson's uh, submission game being as strong as the guys like Brian Ortega. So this should be a fight that he is able to win. Um, but for Cub as well, if he's able to get a win over Frankie, especially if he's able to be the second guy to put him away, this can really, really do a lot to help him with his title contention and say, hey, look, you know, I've lost to Max Holloway, I lost to Brian Ortega, but I defeated Frankie Edgar and I've defeated a lot of these other guys. I should be in next in line for that title. Um, so that's where the thinking is for Cub Swanson. As far as where it's at, I really like that this is going to be in Atlantis. Atlantic City, New Jersey. I have to believe that that's part of the reason why Frankie Edgar was eager to take this fight. Um, this actually is going to add to be 
to this fight card. It's going to be a nice fight card overall. Like I said, Kevin Lee, Edson Barboza. You actually have Tiago Santos versus David Brand. Santos has some of the, the most finishes in UFC history. I don't know the exact number on that, but I want to say I believe he's like tied with Anderson Silva, something to that effect. Uh, so very entertaining fighter. To this point, hasn't proven to be a guy that can really truly run with the elite guys, you know, and uh, but he makes for entertaining fights. David Branch, this is another opportunity for him to get a win in that middleweight division. So that's a pretty good fight. Brett Johns versus Aljamain Sterling. A lot of people know about Aljamain Sterling, but Brett Johns is a guy to watch for. This is a guy I've been really high on for a little bit of time now. He fought on that card with Gun that Gunnar Nelson headline with Santiago Ponzinibbio. His career in the UFC is 3-0 with uh, his last victory coming over Joe Soto by submission on December 1st at the Ultimate Fighter Tough Finality, uh, Finale. 26 years old from Wells. I actually think that this is a guy to watch on this card. He's 15-0. If he can get past a guy like uh, Aljamain Sterling, that will mean a lot to his career. For Aljamain, I believe that this is an important fight because this isn't a guy with a lot of name value to his to to him, and he's coming off a vicious KO knee uh, loss to Marlon Moraes in December 9th, Swanson versus Ortega. Before that, he had two wins, but then before that, he had lost twice to Rafael Sunsau and Brian Caraway. So being Two or three, two and three in his last five. If he loses this one, he'll end up being uh, two and four in his last six, and that provides to be a pretty dangerous, pretty dangerous record at this point in time, in which he would be already 28 years old, and um, you know, not that that's super old, but having suffered that many defeats in that type of stretch, that's not a good indication uh, for the future. You're just about at the max value of your, uh, of your, um, of your, your fighting value. You don't have a lot of room for improvement at that point. Uh, there's, it's going to be tough for you to maximize uh, your potential at this point in time even more than you already have because you should be already going into your prime or you should already be in your prime. Uh, then we've got a Jim Miller versus Dan Hooker, Ryan LaFleur versus Alex Garcia. Some, there's, a, there's some pretty entertaining matchups here. Corey Anderson versus Patrick Cummings. Even got, got a guy like Chase Sherman versus Justin Willis. Aspen Ladd versus Leslie Smith as well. So that's a, that's looking to be like a pretty good fight night card right there in uh, New Jersey. I like the hometown feel. You know, Edson Barboza trains in the area. Frankie Edgar is from the area, of course. So Aljamain Sterling, same type of deal. He's uh, from the area, like in that, you know, New York, New Jersey type area as well. So I think this was a well put together card. I think that this matchup is, is a good matchup, but I fear that it may be a little bit too soon for Frankie. On the other hand, if he's not able to, if he doesn't take a lot of damage, he should be able to win this fight and get back onto the winning streak that get back into the winning realm that he was in before the Brian Ortega fight. Next thing we want to talk about is Santiago Ponzinibbio is going to be facing Kamaru Usman for the UFC Chile main event. So this is actually a fight that I'm going to be extremely excited for. Santiago Ponzinibbio is one of the quickest 
you know, most dynamic strikers in the division right now and in the UFC and in, 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 uh, as a as a whole, so that's going to be very interesting to see how he does against a guy like Kamaru Usman, who is absolutely dominant with his wrestling, is really good with his grappling, they both have pretty good cardio, but it'd be interesting to see if Kamaru's able to get it to the ground, how will that affect Santiago Ponzinibbio's grappling, and the other, on the other hand, though, this is a real dangerous fight for Kamaru Usman, because, um, if he ends up losing this fight uh, or going into the fight, he's going to be at a real disadvantage with his hands and with his striking. Santiago Ponzinibbio, again, very quick twitch, uh, great with his hands, got real power in all his strikes, whether it's kicking or uh, punching or, you know, doing any of his sp spinning attacks as well. Uh, so this is a dangerous, dangerous matchup for both men right here. Um, but I. I like that we're finally starting to see some movement with some of these younger guys in the welterweight division or fresher names actually being matched up with a, with each other. So it looks like Ponzinibbio versus Usman should pro propel one of these guys to the next level and really provide for them to be set up for a real nice matchup going forward. Whoever wins this fight, it will be extremely impressive considering how how highly touted each one of them is against each other. I think it's a great main event for Chile. you got two hot prospects in the division right now. Usman cooled off a little bit after his last fight was a little bit of a dud. But on the other end, Santiago Ponzinibbio being Latino, you know, being someone that they can get behind because they'll feel some sort of ties with them. I think that's a good idea as well. So this is a fight I can't wait to watch. It's going to be a, a really exciting fight and really intriguing matchup. If I had to call it early, I would say maybe Ponzinibbio is going to be able to defend the takedown enough against a guy like Usman and really keep it standing enough so that he can land some of those strong strikes. Maybe he's able to get a finish in this one considering that Usman has a long way to go still when it comes with his striking, even though he does have some power in his hands as well. But he's just not as polished, not as dynamic as a guy like Ponzinibbio. This card's going to be May 19th in Santiago, Chile. So this, uh, this is a good uh, good start for that Chile card um, with this type of main event. Next fight to talk about, Volkan Ozdemir is going to be fighting Shogun Hua at UFC Chile. So this is actually turning into a nice little card here in Chile. I think this is their first go-around at Chile, of course. So they're bringing the heat. you got Mauricio Shogun Hua, who's a legend in the sport, going to get up against Volkan Ozdemir, who is really considered to be the fourth best light heavyweight in the world when you put John Jones, Daniel Cormier, uh, Anthony, or uh, Alexander Gustafson, and Volkan Uzdemir in the mix. You really consider him to be third or fourth best in the world. I really like this fight. I think for Volkan, it's an excellent opportunity for him to get some shine back on him after that loss to Daniel Cormier. It's an opportunity for him to show that he's not really concerned uh, about his loss, that he can recover from adversity in that respect, and that he has the ability to come back and really dominate over a guy like Shogun Hua. 
this will be an opportunity for him to get another one of those lightning quick, really powerful finishes in the first round like he had done previously against Jimmy Manua, against Misha Serkinov, and really prove that he's still in that upper echelon of the division. I do believe that he'll be able to win this fight, but on the other hand, this is a little bit crazy, but Mauricio Shogun Hua said he wanted to get a title shot after coming off a victory over Volkan Ozdemir. It's kind of crazy, but you could argue that Mauricio Shogun Hua would actually be in contention for that title shot. It's so ridiculous at this point. I believe with Jones having his last loss be considered a no contest, I believe that Shogun Hua had like the the record the record the longest active win streak right now for the light heavyweight division. And uh, let's take a look here. Let's take a look at his past record as of recently. He's 36 years old, but somehow has found out, uh, found a way to rally and get a unanimous decision over Antonio Rosario Noguera back in 2015, a split decision with Corey Anderson in 2016, and defeated John Volante in March 11th, 2017. So this is what this tells me. He's taking a lot of times off between fights. He's fighting on average like once per year in the past three years. So he does, he hasn't been taking a lot of damage, but I do believe he's been having to recover from a lot of injuries and surgeries, so that's been a little bit of an issue, of course. But if he wins this fight, I mean, who else do you give the, the title shot to, I guess? I mean, obviously you have Alexander Gustafson waiting on the wings for Daniel Cormier to come back down or to release or to uh, vacate that title should he win the belt at heavyweight and then retire afterwards. I mean, you could be realistically looking at if Shogun Hua defeats Volkan Ozdemir, you could realistically be looking at a suspended John Jones still, you know, a Daniel Cormier having retired, you know, by next March or so if he sticks, stays true to his word. And then you could p potentially have an Alexander Gustafson versus Mauricio Shogun Hua fight because Shogun's coming off a win over a guy like Volkan. And there's no doubt he would be willing to wait until like sometime next year, March, if he had to, if he had to outweigh Daniel Cormier for that opportunity to fight a guy like Gustafson for a potential vacant light heavyweight championship. So that's how crazy this is. You may not see, sense a lot of... Um, a lot of stakes in this fight, but honestly, the winner of this fight, their very next fight could be for a title against uh, a Daniel Cormier should Alexander Gustafson get hurt or have some other reason for not fighting, or if Jones does get suspended for longer than you know, a year or two or what, whatever it is, if it's prolonged to the point where he's not going to be returning until late 2018, early 2019. And then Daniel Cormier uh, retires and relinquishes the belt. I mean, this get, either of these guys could be in that title fight. So, with that being said, this actually has some stakes in it. It'll be an important fight in that light heavyweight division. Next fight to talk about, just quickly, Makwan Makwan Amir Khani versus Jason Knight in the works for UFC Fight Night 138 Liverpool as well. So, this is a fight I do want to see come to fruition. It's two guys that have had a little bit of hype behind them before, of course, but, um, you know, there has been some struggles from the 
from the side of um, Jason Knight. He's lost some fights in which we thought he would be able to come out victorious. And then in his last fight, Makwan Amir Khani, in March 2008 of 2017, lost a split decision to Arnold Allen, who is a little bit of a prospect coming out of England as well. I mean, he didn't lose to someone who's who's terrible or anything. He's 12-1 and one in his career. And though he hasn't been super active in the UFC, he's had some some hype behind him as well at the young age of 24. But Makwan Amirkani has some hype behind him still. He's an exciting f- type of fighter. He's still 29 years old, still has an opportunity. Interesting personality, so this is a good matchup for him. I think that this level is a good idea for him. And if he wins over Jason Knight, even though it won't mean as much as it would have before when Jason Knight was a real hot prospect, you know, it'll still be a nice win over another guy who's really talented. For Jason Knight, this is going to be a pretty important fight for him. He was a guy that looked to be... Uh, you know, a real title contender, you know, coming soon to that featherweight division, but he lost by unanimous decision to Gabriel Benitez, who tuned him up in that fight, just was absolutely working him in that fight against a guy in which a lot of people didn't think was going to be able to compete with Knight. Gabriel Benitez really did a good job. Benitez has, in his UFC career, Two wins over Humberto Brown and Clay Collard, but then lost to Andre Feely by KO. He won against Sam Cecilia, then he lost to Enrique Barzola, and then uh, by unanimous decision. So going into that fight with Jason Knight, everyone thought that Jason Knight was going to work this kid over from Mexico, but Benitez absolutely just uh, took it from him and didn't get didn't leave a lot of room for Knight to get in his offense. So Knight's coming off two straight losses. If he suffers a third one here, it'll be a big, big letdown from his hot start to his UFC career in which he started off 4-1 and one in the UFC. Uh, he'll have lost to Ricardo Lamas, no shame in that, Gabriel Benitez, and then Makwan Amir Khani. At 25 years old, he did still have a lot of time to rectify that situation. But this is going to be an extremely important fight for him. As well as for Amir Khani as well. He's 29 years old, so he's not really old either. But, again, how much better are you going to get? You should be in your prime right now, or you should be just now entering it. So how much better are you going to get if you're 29? For Makwan, he hasn't fought in quite some time. If he ends up on a two-fight losing streak, it's going to be a tough go to see what his next matchup is going to be looking like as well. But that should be an entertaining card with two guys that have been uh, had some attention shed on them in the past as they come up through the ranks. Last thing to talk about is Josh Barnett getting no suspension after arbitration case and you saw the doping case. So he actually got no suspension for having the banned substance by Osterine in an out-of-competition drug test sample that was collected December 9, 2016. I'm reading this from MMAfighting.com. Apparently, that they were able to establish that he had a contaminated supplement. Um, so that was the reason why they, they ended up dropping any sort of suspension. But it's kind of all for naught. I mean, it, it clears his name, but this is a guy, I don't know how much goodwill this is going to do for him. He has previously failed two other drug tests in the past. He 
felled one in 2009. He felled one in 2002 when he became the UFC heavyweight championship and the UFC stripped him of his title. Also, this sample is collected December 9th, 2016. You know what it is today? It is March 23rd, 2018. He has not fought in like a year and a half. It's crazy. So that's good for him and all. You know, maybe they would have given him a four-year ban, a three-year ban or something like that. But even if they were going to give him a two-year ban, it's all for naught with this arbitration case. I mean, he wasn't able to fight it throughout this whole time. And with that being said, I mean, it's almost like he was suspended and punished for it anyways. So I'm not saying it doesn't do any goodwill for him, but I'm just asking the question, what does it really do for him in the sense that he's already been suspended or he's already failed two drug tests in the past. So a lot of people don't even believe that this was a tainted supplement, even though USADA does believe it. And, you know, you've lost that much time in fighting. Now, he wasn't a guy that was being super active anyway, so maybe it doesn't really matter either way. And maybe the most important thing about the story is that he ends up not having to deal with a three- or four-year ban, which may have been in the cards had he actually failed this and the arbitration not go his way. So that's all I have for today, guys. Let me know what y'all think of all the news items that we touch on today what uh, fight announcements you were really excited about, especially what what you think about Darren Till being set up with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. You think it's the right matchup? Do you think he's ready for it? If so, let me know. At Zapata MMA on Twitter. Again, that's at Zapata MMA on Twitter. You can uh, reach out to me there with any comments, questions, concerns, or statements. All right, guys. Until next time, enjoy the weekend. Bye.